Ciao to Godsey. Frank Cravello here from City I Sit Down. Welcome to City I Sit Down, podcast of World Football Index. Flying solo. It's all mine. It's all mine uh, for about a half hour. Uh, Richard has been under the weather all week. Uh, hopefully he is getting on the men. Get well, Richard. Alex has got some um, uh, other work commitments, making it very hard for us to pin down an actual date this week to do a podcast. Uh, but uh, I am jumping on here for a half an hour because some important things have happened uh, over uh, the last week that we wanted to give you our takes on, uh, you know, and go from there. So we should be back full podcast, uh, who won Calcio Twitter and all the trimmings uh, by uh Tuesday, hopefully as early as Tuesday night. So I uh, do appreciate you uh, hanging in there with us. And uh, yeah, you have to put up with me uh, the entire uh, half hour of listening. So hopefully uh, uh, I take care of you uh, without Alex and Richard being available. So, uh, but we will have everybody back by then. Um, let's begin uh, with, we're going to trace all the way back to January 4th. It's been a while since we've talked with you. Uh, January 3rd was our last podcast, and uh, we all gave you a preview of Inter and Napoli. We were all generally wrong, except for uh, Alex Donnell saying that a rested Aiden Jekyll is very dangerous, because that's exactly what happened. Aiden Jekyll scored in the 56th minute, often assist from Federico Di Marco in Inter's win uh, over Napoli. Uh, by a goal to nil. It was Napoli's first defeat of the season. Uh, it was a massive win for the Nerazzurri at the time, just in terms of just needing to get a win, you know, against a high, uh, you know, one of the high profile teams in Serie A and trying to get things back on track, trying to mount some sort of a Scudetto challenge. Um, so when you look at the lineups, you uh, it was pretty much what we expected. Inter had Onana in goal. They played Skriniar, Acerbi, and Bastoni across the back. Darmian started uh, at the right um, with DiMarco on the left, and you had to suspect that Darmian's start was for defending, was for uh, providing Skriniar some help dealing with Kvicic Kvaratskhelia. Um, uh, they basically hacked Kvaratskhelia out of this game, uh, you know, and that seemed to be the game plan all along for interdefensively. Uh, but Ella Chalhanolu and Mikatarian were in midfield. Romelu Lukaku returned to the starting 11 uh, with Aiden Jekko up front. Uh, and it would be that Aiden Jekko goal in the 56th minute off a cross from Federico Di Marco uh, that would win the game. Um, was the only shot on target for Inter in that game. And Really, when you take a look at it, this game, like I said, we it went the way that we at City I sit down expected it to go. Napoli was going to have the ball uh, far more than Inter was going to have the ball. Um, and uh, it, we thought that a key guy in terms of running the show in that game was Piotr Zielinski. He played for 65 minutes, was relatively influential, um, with the uh, time that he spent on the pitch, uh, got off a couple of shots, created a couple of chances, uh, helped his team keep the ball. Very 
seldom lost possession uh, when he had it at his feet. So things were running well through him. Kvaratskhelia, uh lasted 76 minutes, um, and the idea was to play aggressive, play physical with them. The uh, mission accomplished in doing that. Um, and then looking at the rest of uh, Napoli's lineup, I thought they got a decent shift out of Matias Oliveira playing on the left-hand side. Uh, he was certainly lively coming forward. He created some pretty interesting passes. I mean, and it was interesting. Oliveira didn't cross much here. Um, he passed the ball in, created a lot of things. Um, mainly into Victor Oseman, who had a nice chance on target in this game. Uh, a big chance there for them to score. Didn't get that done. Um, and then uh, other than that, it was a a solid but not spe- – save for the goal that they conceded, a solid performance from the combination of Amir, Amir Rahmani and Minjai Kim uh, in the center of that defense. So, um, you know, looking at the Napoli side, that's that's really what we got in that game from them. Uh, kept the ball, uh, tried to create some things, only were able to manage two shots on target. So it was a comfortable day in general for Andre Onana in goal – uh, for Inter, um, who prior to this game was last seen having a hissy fit with Cameroon and leaving early, um, but uh, maybe with, maybe with the couple of saves that he made and with, with the overall performance, his command of the of the box and his command of the Inter defense, you know that he that he did a night that he probably had a, a thing or two to prove to the Cameroon coach. Uh, so um, the back three for Inter were all outstanding. Uh, they played with the right mix of positioning, toughness, being strong on the tackle, um, really sending a message to the Napoli attack, uh, saying that this is going to be, this is going to be difficult for you. Um, so I was very impressed with the physicality of all three of them across the back, Milan Skriniar, Francesco Acerbi, uh, and Alessandro Bastoni. I thought that they worked well as a unit. They covered for each other. Um, when they had to defend the ball, they defended it well, um, and they they made it hard for Napoli to break them down. Uh, which it was going to a lot of that burden was going to be put on them, and they were going to be put under a lot of pressure because when you looked at Inter's midfield, Mkhitaryan, Chalanolo, Barella, none of these guys really strike you as stopper types that can protect that back three. So you had Zielinski coming through, uh, creating a little bit of danger. You had Oliveira coming from the left side, being pretty influential. Um, and then, uh, on the counterattack, it was Aiden Jekko scoring. It was a, a cross from DiMarco, uh, and Federico DiMarco was his usual self, uh, in this game, getting an assist, uh, getting off a few crosses. And I got to say this four crosses only in this game, but Inter only had 36% possession. So, um, we usually see a lot of crossing volume from Federico DiMarco over the course of the game, but it's natural to it's natural that when you don't have the ball as much, you're not going to cross as much. So, um, you know, to take some of the to take the chances that he did to create the chant the, the the key chance that he did and Jekyll finishing it uh, was very very important. Uh, so, a 56 minute winner. Um, so, I, I, I would probably give a nod. For man of the match, I would probably share it um, between Onana and the back three for Inter. Uh, that's where I'll go. I, I, if you want to, if you want to go, Nicolo Barella too. He played with incredible energy uh, for the entire ninety minutes. 
Um, didn't do much in terms of creating anything, but won some tackles in the midfield, helped do some of that dirty work, basically had to be that de facto protector of the back three and did a great job with it. Um, so uh, so for me, you could put Barella in there as the best player in the game. If you want to have the guys who had a piece of the goal, that's fine. Um, I'm going to go with Onana. I'm going to go with uh, Skriniar, Acerbi, Bastoni. I'm going to let them all share it. Um, I thought that the performance from them back there was out, was outstanding. Had to be uh, to keep a very prolific Napoli attack out. Um, you know, as for the Napoli side of things, okay, you know, did we, we asked this question about them as the season was unfolding? Did they really get pushed in this great run that they made prior to the World Cup? You know, they got to they beat Milan. Milan didn't have Rafael Leao. Um, you know, they got some key wins in there. They got some key performances in there. Uh, they finished top of a Group A in the Champions League that, on brand name, you look at it and it's very, very impressive. Liverpool, um, although Ajax isn't what they had been, and we had talked about this on the podcast, they weren't the pacey team uh, that we come to know with Ajax, certainly more technical. And then Rangers, a team that was in over their head. And they caught Liverpool in a in a pretty rough period. Liverpool certainly playing a little bit better now. Uh, it can be argued, uh, but they caught them on a match day at the Armando Maradona where uh, Van Dyke didn't have his usual partner to the side, to his side in defense. Um, you have Trent Alexander Arnold who can't defend particularly well. He's in there for his crossing and he's also willing to give the odd ball away for the technician that he is. That's kind of surprising. Um, so, that's the uh, – looking at that, you know, I don't know if they ever beat anybody at their that was at their best at any point uh, during this run. And that's being a little bit harsh on Napoli. And, I'm, I, you know, certainly they deserve the position that they're in because good teams, you know, do what they're doing. And they have a, still have a seven-point lead, uh, you know, at this stage of the season. Uh, and to have that is pretty impressive and, and you better be pretty good and you better take advantage of the situations uh, that are presented to you. Uh, and they certainly have done so. Now they're going to get pushed. It was just inter. Um, I believe at the weekend, if I'm not mistaken, Napoli ended up pulling a game out. Um, they okay, they beat Sampdoria, beat 10-man Sampdoria 2-0 at the Marassi. Um, so you had, you had that and believe that red card came pretty early as well. Um, you know, according to my statistics, it did. Yes. Uh, so they rebounded nicely from the inter defeat. Uh, Ossiman scored Elma scoring on a penalty. Um, you had, uh, Rincon getting sent off in the 38th minute, which complicated things for Sampdoria. Uh, but Napoli were able to rebound nicely, win that match. Um, Looking at them a, a little bit further, they did not have a Copa game, or they play it uh, next week again at home against Cremonese. So they didn't have that at midweek to have to contend with. Um, you know, so perhaps that uh, that helps them a little bit here. Um, but Juventus as well. So, and we're going to get into that here towards the end of this podcast, toward the end of this brief podcast. Uh, Napoli and Juventus. We're going to give a little preview, talk about that game, uh, what to. Uh, look for and what to be uh, excited about here as it pertains to that match, uh, because I think uh, it's going to be an exciting one. 
uh, especially with maybe the little bit of a resurgence that Juventus are starting to realize too. So, um, so they're getting Napoli's getting pushed now, as I said. Um, and can they pick up and, and regroup from the form that they're in? I, I think it's one of the things that I'll argue is that it is very difficult to nearly impossible to sustain the kind of form that they've played with throughout the throughout the course of a 38-game season. There's injuries, players hit bad patches, they don't hit the technique that they that they normally do. There's a there's a myriad of things. Um, and then some of it is is that uh, the other teams start to get stronger. They start to figure some things out. They start to figure this Napoli team out, who I, quite frankly, I thought Napoli was going to be in reverse of what we're seeing. I thought that, you know, and I've said this multiple times here on City, I sit down. I thought Napoli would struggle to start off with. A lot of changes, some leadership gone from that dressing room that it was going to take some time that they were going to have to acclimate some new pieces um, with some of the departures and that the second half of the season was when we would see them turn it up, when they would probably over the course of 19 games get 45 some odd points and then would be everybody's trendy pick for 2023-24. Well, it's happened in reverse. Napoli comes flying out of the blocks. So we now have to ask, are teams ready to figure these guys out? You know, and then we'll we'll talk about that a little bit with with Juventus now coming to the Maradona on Friday uh, in detail, uh, you know, as it pertains to that. So that is what we're going to need to understand of Napoli here over the next several match days. Um, and Kyle is asking, Kyle Mookian is asking, I think Napoli actually have good squad depth now, which may not have been the case in the past. Maybe there might be some truth to that, Kyle. Um, there might. Uh, so the midfield, I think, is as deep as it's been. I think we can maybe make that case about them when you take a look. They can interchange some things a little bit. You've got Zielinski, Angisa, and Dombele. Elmas obviously coming in and playing a cameo. Deme is capable of coming in and helping out in a cameo. Labotka has been very good for, uh, for Napoli this season as well. So in particular, uh, in the... Uh, midfield, this might be as deep as they've been. You know, what, what have we said about Maurizio Sadi's Napoli over the years? They weren't very deep. Sadi played the same 13 or 14 guys, you know, and they got on a nice run and they were winning and then they got run into the ground. So, um, you know, you could make a case for, for what you're talking about here, Kyle. Uh, you know, the forwards, you know, Ossiman being able to stay healthy throughout this entire, that matters. Okay, uh, Kvaric Kalia coming onto the scene as quickly as he has, that matters. Uh, they obviously have tremendous depth at the striker position. If Osimhen does fall, you do have uh, Cholito, Giovanni Simeone, you have Giacomo Raspadori. Um, where I think it can fall apart for Napoli is in a couple of areas. I, I think that Herving Lothano and Matteo Politano, I think there's weakness in that right wing position between those two guys. I haven't been convinced by either of them. Um, you know, that's, uh, and, and we're, we're clutching at straws here, guys, when we're talking about Napoli, because after all, it is a team with 44 points from 17 games. Um, so it's, that position I think needs to be a little bit better. We, they need more production out of, 
out of Lozano, out of Lozano, out of Politano. Um, and then in the defense, um, you know, Oliveira has been solid. Mario Rui, okay. Um, Gi- Giovanni Di Lorenzo, the fullbacks have been okay, but I think they can be had. Um, you know, and at some point, those guys are going to get figured out a little bit too. Just seeing Bartosz Berezinski is now part of the setup uh, with Napoli. They have rescued him uh, from that Sampdoria nightmare. I didn't catch that. I'm just looking. I'm looking at the squad here, and I see Berezinski here. So there you go. Um, the squad depth is there to now take on more, than, but it's also there to take on one, more than one competition, Kyle. And Napoli are going to have ambitions to go deep in the Champions League. They're going to have ambitions to do well in Coppa Italia. Uh, we'll talk about a team here that I don't think had the same ambition for Coppa Italia. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've been rambling here a little bit about the squad depth. It's a great, it's a great point. But I think eventually, and another thing that I want to add, we talk about, okay, great start can potentially get found up because it's really hard to maintain this kind of form throughout the course of an entire 38-game season. It's also Luciano Spalletti, right? Have we have we seen this movie before with him? We've seen it plenty of times where he gets them in these kind of positions. He gets them contending. Probably, I don't, don't know if he's ever been in a spot where he's had a team that's had the lead in Serie A. Might have been, uh, it might have been for a little bit with Napoli last season. It actually was Inter. Um, but he might have had a little bit of a spell where Inter had first for a little bit, a little bit under under his watch as well, and then it didn't work out. So, but we've seen Spalletti's teams fall apart from a mentality standpoint. So we ask that question, but we asked that question about Pioli's teams until he finally got over the top and won the Scudetto at Milan. So this might be um, Spalletti's team now uh, in that in that parallel with what Pioli did at Milan last year, Spalletti finally getting it over the top with Napoli this year. Um, Plenty of questions that I still want to ask about Napoli. I'm not crowning them champions yet. My goodness, there's only been 17 match weeks played. They have a seven point lead. It's very healthy, but I see some contenders here that are really going to give them a a push. Um, One of whom is Juventus. We're going to preview this Napoli Juventus game here shortly. But before we do that, I want to get into Uh, Milan a little bit here um, as uh, they have suddenly uh, started to struggle. They took a 2-2 draw at home against Roma, uh, a game that they were in complete control of uh, for a large, and this was on Sunday, for a large period of the game, going 2-0 up in the 77th minute. um, And then... uh, Pioli makes some adjustments. He brings Decatelare in for Giroud. He brings Gabia in for Salamakers to bring in an, to bring in an extra defender uh, to try to close things out. Um, and I have, and if and if you ask me, and I'm going to go to bat for Pioli, and I'm going to take my usual blasting of Milan Twitter as I like to do. I couldn't get over all of the comments from many Milan Twitter accounts on Twitter. I just couldn't get over it. It just, you know, Tatra Sanu's trash. I'll go back and look at the games where Tatra Sanu saved this team. Um, you know, so he's their number two goalkeeper. Uh, you know, you're you're only you're only going to get so many good performances, and you're going to have to expect there's going to be a bad one that reminds you of why he's the number two. Um, but people were blasting Pioli's tactics, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna stand up for Pioli here. 
I don't think I do anything different. And if Pioli had it all to do again, 2-0 up after 77 minutes, I don't think he does it differently either. Uh, this comes down to the player's inability uh, to execute. Where does Milan get beat? They get beat defending set pieces more often than not. What's Roma really good at? They're good at attacking set pieces. Uh, so this is on the players to know that you're coming to this point in the game. Roma's getting corner kicks. They're getting free kicks. They're getting set pieces. Have your responsibilities and take it seriously. Do your job. Close it out. Okay, that means they're going to, if they're going to get corners, make sure everything's organized. First balls, second balls. The, the tying goal came on a failure to act on the second ball. Uh, it allowed Roma to uh, tie the match, which was uh, Tammy Abraham who knocked it in, and then you had the Abanez goal in the 87th minute. So I put it squarely on the players that were on the pitch for not carrying out the responsibility um, before I'm going to put it on Pioli. That said, Milan Twitter, take a deep breath. It's a long season. Moments like this happen. Remember Spezia last year, okay? And Milan recovered from that. They're going to recover from this. And I don't look at this Copa game against Torino and and use that as a measuring stick, okay? Milan outshot Torino 34-11. to 11. They had eight on target. On a different day, they win this Copa game in a rout. All right, Torino finds a way through Michel Ndari Adopo in the 114th minute. Yeah, I haven't either. Um, to win the match for Torino, get them through to the next round. Anthony Skanga, thank you. Milan Twitch are a touchy bunch. They very much are. Every time the every time there's a loss or every time there's adversity with Milan, Twi- Milan, the sky is falling according to Milan Twitter. And then we have to hold their hands and say, no, this things like this happen. Okay, if it happens over a consecutive stretch of games, then yes, we should get worried. But this is one game. It fell apart. They screwed up a two goal lead. Away we go. So 34 shots on Torino. Vanya, uh, uh, was it Vanya Milinkovic-Savic? Yes, Vanya Milinkovic-Savic decided to uh, play like Torino, Vanya Milinkovic-Savic and not Serbia, Vanya Milinkovic-Savic. And I know it sucks. It's optically, it's not a good look when you lose to 10 men. But Look at the lineup that Pioli trotted out there and tell me if he was really serious about wanting to win this match and qualify, okay? He wasn't, all right? If he was, Aster Vranks isn't starting. If, uh, Matteo Gabbia isn't starting. They're not experimenting with a back three, okay? So when you take a look at some of those things and that lineup came out, you immediately need to say to yourself, okay, th- this is the least of the priorities of the three competitions that Milan are still chasing. They're going to play an experimental lineup. They're getting different people out there. If they happen to win, hooray. If not, it's what they expected. And then they can move on to trying to go back to back in Serie A and trying to make a run in the Champions League, which is realistic because Tottenham hasn't been playing very well. So that's one team they could potentially knock off. Um, Torino... Dessert, you know, in, in the end, they held on, they get the win. All right. Milan are out of the Copa, but this is not time to panic. Okay. You can play, you can play good football and lose. You can create a lot and lose. It happens. That's what, that's what makes this sport so great. Uh, I'm not pushing the panic button on Milan just yet. Um, although some very, very glaring struggles here, uh, the, 
the remaining 15 minutes or so of the match against Roma, where they basically let um, uh, Roma back into the game and let them get something out of it. And then, uh, you know, dropping the uh, match here against um, Torino in the cup. Now, Saturday, they go to Lecce. And I'm going to make the argument that we can't judge them on Lecce either. Okay, because Lecce is a difficult place to go and get a result. Okay, it's been difficult for everybody to go there and get a result. Lecce have played really well at home. They don't concede much. I expect Milan to uh, create a lot of chances, create a lot of possession. They're going to have to finish their chances. Um, Lecce going the other way, not a whole lot that would scare you. Um, if if I see a flat performance and a letdown from the last couple of games, then I'm worried. If I see a good performance, I see Milan playing the Milan way and they come out of there with a draw. It's because, you know, it's it's mainly because Lecce have been playing well at home performance wise. But ultimately, I expect Milan to win. OK, and I think everybody here listening would expect Milan to win that game on Saturday. So let's 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 all calm down a little bad patch. They pick themselves up a win here. We can pretend like none of this ever happened. Okay, so, and then I should I should clarify a little bit. Matteo Bonetti, and I, I'm going to be very clear about this. I have a lot of respect for Matteo. Uh, I think he has a lot of respect for me. Um, but I did call out his comment about this dropped two points against Roma uh, potentially being something that could help decide the title. And, you know, I'm, and I'm paraphrasing what was actually said. You know, you have to go back and look at the exchanging of ideas that he and I had. I am not a fan of looking at anything until we get closer until to the end of the season. Okay. There right now, after seven, there's still 21 match weeks left. There is a wide range of outcomes that can go on. Napoli might just continue this form and might blow this thing away and what happened Sunday between Milan and Roma were moot, were moot. Juventus might one nil everybody to death. That's what that's the way it's looking right now. They just are going to take their one nil win and move on to the next one. Um, so lots to unpack yet. A long, long way to go. We can't just look at one game and all of a sudden uh, create this conversation that this could be a game that decides the title. You go all the way back to match day one. Inter won at Lecce at the last second. And I remember the commentator saying that they're going to look back at, they could look back at this game and look back at this goal and all this other stuff. It's match day one, man. <laughs> are, we, are we really doing this? Um, I like to wait until the end of the season and then I can go back and look. Yeah, should have won that. Lost two points there. Yeah, th get those. We win the title. But right now, we're too far away from having those kind of conversations. Um, it's just good. Con it's just good debate for now, uh, is, is really the way it is. Uh, but okay. So lastly, um, I do want to touch on, uh, a couple of things here, just on the quick, on the transfer, uh, market. Roma got Ole Salbach and from Bodo Glimt, uh, that's kind of a notable name. Uh, Memo Ochoa going to Salernitana. We, we forgot to bring that up last week and we apologize, but you know, Ochoa is, you know, made an impact in his opening game at home against Milan in that two, one defeat made eight saves looked terrific. Um, you're just another, just another piece of good business by Salernitana in terms of getting to, together a team that's going to continue to survive in this league. Um, and then uh, leaving us, Ruslan Malinovsky is off to Marseille. He's leaving Atalanta. Um, I uh, 
I, I, you know, I hate seeing talented players leave this league. Uh, I get it though. Um, Atalanta right now, no Europe. Um, some of the revenue streams that they've been comfortable seeing are not coming in. Malinovsky, it's time for him for time. I guess it was time for a new challenge. I don't think this hurts Atalanta terribly. There's still plenty of playmakers. Coop Miners is taking on some, uh, you know, some some set piece duty. And the way Atalanta is starting to set up these days, being more of a counter attacking team, you know, you can get things through some midfield. Um, Huventini are happy to see him leave Atalanta. Sure, they are. Um, uh, but um, you, they can counter through so many different combinations of forwards that they have in their team right now. Um, and uh, Gasparini, Gasparini will just continue to keep mixing that up. So um, finally, let's preview Napoli and Juventus here uh, taking place here on Friday at the Stadio Diego Armando Maradona. The bookmakers like Napoli as a slight favorite, minus 105. Uh, they think this will be a low-scoring contest as evidenced by over 2.5 at plus 110. Um, and I tend to agree with the under on the 2.5, but I am conflicted on making Napoli a winner here. I think the having the home field advantage is going to spur them on. There's no doubt about it. Um, but this is the, this could be the it moment for Napoli. Um, as in terms of serious title credentials, uh, when you look at, um, when you look at the standings right now, uh, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, Juventus is now in second. They're on 37 points. Uh, they have an incredible winning streak going on. Uh, we should point out here that they've only conceded 17 or they, they've only conceded seven goals through 17 matches. And uh, that matters here. Okay. Because Napoli are going to want to push the tempo. They're going to want to possess. They're want going to want to create. They're going to want to find ways to get in behind. And I think the way that Allegri sets this Juve team up, they're just not going to have the spaces to do that, that they, that they're typically comfortable with. Um, Again, I'm going to come back to the key man for Napoli uh, needing to be Pietro Zielinski. Uh, he is going to have to get creative in how he unlocks this Juve midfield and defense. He is going to have to deal with waves of numbers playing in that third of the pitch. And then Juve are going to try to counter um, really with Milik as a reference point. If Sofa scores to be believed, it's a 3-5-1-1 from Juve. Um, Kostic playing as a left winger. Um, or on the left in his left wing back position, McKenney is going to tuck in. Paredes and Locatelli and Rabio are all going to tuck in and compact things in the midfield, uh, which should free Di Maria to be the first guy out uh, that they play to on the counter. And then you're going to see Kostic getting forward, Milik maybe hold, getting it at his feet and holding it up. Uh, that's the way. That's Juve's path, and then they're going to have to create something out of those limited chances. Um, Napoli, how do you get Kvaratskhelia free? I think Danilo is going to defend him hard. Uh, Bremer against Osimhen is going to be a fantastic matchup in the box when Napoli is trying to put in some crosses. Can Osimhen get clever? Can he catch Bremer here? Can he get into some positions and score dangerously? Um, Politano is an X factor. I never have been a big Politano fan, but he's going to have to come up with a big game here to help Napoli. Uh, I think the key men in this game um, on the Juve side, 
it's how well that back three, it's a different dynamic with this back three versus Inter's back three. Um, they're going to be able to cut passing lanes, position themselves. They're not the hard tacklers that Inter's back three had. So that's uh, going to get taken out of the mix. So I expect more chances. I expect Chesney to be challenged more. It's a big game for Chesney. He's going to have to come up uh, you know, with the goods here as well. Um, Mario Rui coming forward. Can he put some pressure and keep McKinney pinned back? Can he get crosses off? Um, Di Lorenzo, I don't see getting forward as much for Napoli because of the threat of Kostic coming forward. And I think that that might give Pietro Zielinski a little bit more freedom to link with the attack as well. And then you've got Rahmani and Kim. They're going to have to put in another good display. Um, so I look for Juve to counter whether they hit Milik at his feet and let him hold it and guys can come through, Di Maria uh, supporting that and then pulling the strings from the middle and then Kostic pulling the strings from a wider area. I'd even argue that when Di Maria comes out, he'll come out to the right so that Kostic has room to get to the left and high. Um, Look for that too, guys. Um, But I think it's a set-piece goal for Juve. Uh, And... um, Tech going for Buffon's shutout record needs two more games, he believes. Yeah, uh, he's going to be motivated, definitely. Um, and Kyle thinks that Juve are really good at controlling games without the ball. Napoli need to find a way to disrupt their structure. Definitely agree with that. I think they're going to find it difficult. Um, I think that Allegri will take pieces of what Inter did and he'll tailor it to what his team can be be able to do. And I, Chiesa can be the X factor tomorrow. Expect Chiesa to come on. Um I think that Juve announce their title intentions tomorrow. I'm going to go for the upset. Uh, I'm going to go for Juve to win this game by a goal to nil. It's going to be on a set piece. Uh, I think that Napoli for the second straight big game um, struggle to get pressure, uh, struggle to get uh, quality opportunities, but this time for different reasons. So um, I go Napoli nil, Juve one. And uh, I, Richard and Alex will probably go on Twitter and disagree with me. Certainly are welcome to do that. But I see the upset here. I see Juve winning. It's a set-piece goal. Can't tell you where it's going to come from. Um, I'll let's just, let's just shoot for the moon and say Bramer, okay? Um, you know, we've, we've, we've made sillier predictions than that, haven't we? Uh, so we'll go with Bramer getting the goal uh, that separates the two teams. And... Uh, sends uh, Juve to a win, gets them closer to Napoli, and turns this into a title race yet again. So we have so Napoli-Juve's Friday, and just to run down the rest of the weekend to get you ready. Cremonese, Monza uh, in the morning on Saturday. Lecce, Milan, Inter take on Hellas, Verona. Those are Saturday's games. Sunday, uh, we have, if you want to wake up really early in the morning, Sassuolo, Lazio should be a treat. Torino, Spezia, Udinese, Bologna. Atalanta take on Salernitana, uh, and then Roma and Fiorentina. Very interesting game there uh, at uh, 2.45 Eastern Eastern time. And then on Monday, Empoli will play host to Sampdoria. So pretty intriguing uh, slate uh, to get ourselves excited here. Roma and Fiorentina. Can Fiorentina starting to find some form, starting to accumulate some points? Can they keep it going at Roma? Um, I think that Roma win that narrowly. So um, I think they win that very narrowly. Uh, they take care of it. They defend. They keep 
Fiorentina out and they go on and win. I'm going to go 2-0 to Roma in that one. So that puts a bow on this very abbreviated edition of City I Sit Down. Thanks for hanging out with me. I'm at FTC underscore 21. Richard Carmen is at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Alex Donnell at A-L-E-X-D-O-N-N-O. At City I Sit Down, Twitter, Instagram. Chime in with your thoughts there. Uh, Check us out on uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever there's podcasts, you can find us at City I Sit Down. So uh, for Richard and Alex in absentia, I'm Frank. Glad to have flown solo. This is probably the only time they're going to let me do this. Make sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.